Our scripture reading comes from two places in the New Testament. First from the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 10. And we'll read verses 23 through 31. Mark 10, verse 23. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. So far from Mark 10, let's now go to Philippians chapter 4. This is our last sermon in the letter to the Philippians. It was my intention to to make the afternoon service uh, today the, the sort of New Year's service, but as it happens, we're not only finishing the book of Philippians, but it's also filled with themes that are worth reflecting on uh, over, the, uh, over the turn of the year. So let's read then the last part of the letter to the Philippians, Philippians 4, verses 10 through, I have on the, on the board 10 through 20, but let's read 10 through 23 through the end of the letter. Philippians 4, verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. 
I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So far, the word of God. As we reflect on what we've read, let's sing together from Psalm 112, stanzas 1 through 5. Mention this morning are the verses 14 through 20 of Philippians 4. It's not too many verses. Let's just read them again. Philippians 4, verse 14. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you, Philippians, yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, this is our, our second week. It's, of course, our last week studying Philippians, but it's our second week studying these these closing words from Paul to the Philippians. And as I noted last time, these verses concern personal matters between Paul and and the church at, at Philippi. But at the same time, it was God's providence to preserve these verses. We might look at them and say, well, these are just personal matters. What, what have they to do with us? But we can be thankful that they have been preserved nonetheless because they have much to teach us. And they were deliberately preserved by the church at Philippi and passed on for the other churches to read as well. Last time when we were looking at these verses, we we narrowed in on the theme of contentment. You can see that especially in the verses right before our text where Paul talks about his ability to, to be content in all circumstances. He, his, his having learned the secret of knowing how to abound and, and how to have nothing. Well, this, this week we want to focus on, on the message that Paul wants to drive home to the Philippians concerning the, the personal work that they were doing with him. And it's this, doing the work of the Lord together, both in giving and in receiving is a great privilege that God has given to the church through which both church and pastor or missionary store up treasure in heaven, which God will certainly uh, reward. We'll look at uh, three things as we break that down. We'll look at three things in particular. First, 
we want to see Paul's sense of gratitude for the privilege of doing the work of the Lord together with the Philippians. These verses are just filled with, with a sense of gratitude that he has the opportunity to do the work of the Lord with them. Second, uh, it's maybe not as explicit in these verses, but in response to an abuse of these verses, we do want to see a warning against investing for the wrong reasons. There's certainly an implied warning in these verses. And third, especially in the last couple of verses, the joy of knowing that our sacrifices and our giving is remembered by the Lord. All of these themes Paul uh, puts together in these final words for, for the Philippians. So first we want to look at Paul's joy and Paul's gratitude at the privilege of doing the work of the Lord together with the Philippians. You can see Paul's gratitude just overflowing in these passages. He speaks of how he rejoiced greatly in the Lord when he witnessed the Philippians' concern for him. He says in verse 14, it was kind of you to share my trouble. So he's expressing his, his appreciation for the Philippians' partnership. It clearly meant a lot to him. And he, as he does that, he remembers all the good that they had done for him already long ago in the past. So in verses 15 and 16, he, he remembers the support that they had given to him probably as much as 10 years earlier, back when he was in Philippi and then Thessalonica. So he didn't quickly forget the work that they had done for him. And you can see his, his gratitude to God for, for the Philippian church's generosity. Now it's important to recognize the sense of, of partnership that, that characterizes this passage. Paul says in verse 15, No church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. So he talks about partnership and about giving and receiving, even though technically the Philippians were the ones giving and, and he was the one receiving. But he, he speaks of both of them as giving and receiving because both of them were working together in partnership to do the work of the Lord. And, and both of them would ultimately receive their reward from God. So it's, a, it's an important uh, perspective on church work, one that we can, we can certainly learn from, whether we're talking about work that's done in the church or on, on the mission field or in other church-related ministries. That work is always a joint venture. It, it's never just one person's ministry, which other people are generous enough to support. It's work that church and pastor church and missionary, church and, and, and outreach uh, ministry. It's work that they do together. So that's, that's Paul's perspective on, his on that work, and, and he wants them to know how grateful he is for their support in it. And he wants them to recognize it isn't about him, ultimately. It's about the gospel, the work of the Lord. It's truly a humbling reality, too, and one that a minister should be thankful for, and one that uh, young men who might be considering the ministry should not at all be ashamed of. It's sometimes a barrier for young men thinking about the ministry that they think, well, then I have to live off the support of others instead of, so to speak, bringing home the bacon myself. 
Well, we can learn here from Paul, who doesn't see this as a barrier to ministry, but something to be thankful for, a privilege to do the work of the Lord together with the church that was supporting him. It's a lot like the, the priests of the Old Testament, too, that, that would eat the sacrifices that were given to the Lord. The, that meat was meant for them and, and their families. They live off the sacrifices that God's people give to God. And it's not something for, for a young man to be ashamed of, but to be thankful for. It's a, it's a privilege that young men uh, in the ministry can have. And so it shouldn't be a barrier if you are, if there's any young men in this congregation considering the work of the ministry and thinking, do I want to live off the, the generosity of others? Paul sees that as an immense privilege. And I mentioned uh, last week as well, we should notice that the thing that Paul was the most thankful for, the most grateful for, was not the financial gifts themselves, but even more, the evidence that those gifts were for the faith that God had worked in the Philippians. The, the treasure that both he and they were storing up in heaven. So he's not thankful so much for the gift he's receiving, but for the fact that that gift shows that the Philippians were rich in faith. They were willing to be generous, and that's what he's most thankful for. So he says that again in, in verse 17. It's not that I seek the gift. I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Now, obviously, he was thankful for the gift as well, and he does express that appreciation. But for him, the thing that gives him the most joy was to see the evidence of their faith in that gift, to know that the church that he had planted more than 10 years ago was busy with the work of the Lord, storing up fruit and treasure in heaven. And, and so he tells them that to give and to work for the Lord is to store up treasure in heaven. It's to increase uh, fruit to your account. And not only do we store up treasure in heaven when we give to the Lord, we also, uh, Paul also gives an additional promise in, in verse 19, my God will supply your every need. Now there he's talking about here on earth. In other words, not only does God promise to reward our giving in heaven, but he also promises to take care of our needs as we give here on earth. Now, before we dig into that promise, which is going to be the third point, and I want to spend the bulk of our time there, before we get there, we should first stop and consider a caution here against abuses of verses like this. Uh, abuses certainly do exist, particularly from, from prosperity uh, preachers. We saw the same thing last, last time in verse how verse 13 is often abused. Well, verses 17 and verse 19 uh, are also very often abused, and we should be on guard against that. The abuse happens like this. The promise is made by prosperity preachers that if you give to my ministry, God will pay you back double or tenfold or a hundredfold or, or something to that nature. 
my wife had a, had a next-door neighbor in, in Brazil who, who fell for one of these sorts of preachers. She gave a big chunk of her savings to, to a, a Pentecostal prosperity gospel preacher who told her from the pulpit that God would pay her back multiple times on this earth for the, for the gift that she would give. Well, a few months later, obviously nothing materialized, and she came back to the preacher and she asked him, well, where's this, this gift? Why isn't God giving what you promised? And, and the preacher told her, you don't have enough faith. That's why God's not giving. You should have given even more. And so she did. She gave 90% of all of her savings. She, she literally sold her house in order to give to this church. And to this day, that neighbor has never recovered from that. She's still homeless. She rents a room in one, of, in one of her neighbor's houses. And that preacher walks around like a king, wearing fancy suits, driving a fancy car. That's an abuse of a verse like this. So how do we know that's not what Paul's doing here? How do we guard ourselves against that kind of abuse? Because the promise that Paul makes is real. God really does promise to reward our financial sacrifices and, as you can see in verse 19, to take care of our needs here on earth. Uh, It's something the Lord Jesus himself often taught. Seek first the kingdom and all these other things will be added to you. Or your heavenly Father will reward you. Both of those come from Matthew 6. So what do we do with promises like that? How do we guard ourselves against abuses of of verses like this? Well, there's a couple of reasons why, why this verse does not give pastors the right to make those sorts of promises that this Brazilian pastor made. First of all, both Paul and the Lord Jesus set the example for what that sacrifice looks like in their own lives and in their own ministry. Far from the sort of preachers who who wear fancy suits and drive fancy cars at the expense of God's people, that's nothing at all what you see in the life of Paul or in the life of the Lord Jesus. And and that ought to be a warning. When you see a a preacher or a missionary or, or some a famous TV uh, preacher living like that, that ought to be a warning that they're on the wrong track when they're not following in the steps of the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus, you can see this so clearly in Philippians, followed God in obedience all the way to the cross, even to the shameful death on the cross, Philippians 2. And, And he did that in order to serve and to give life to unworthy sinners like us. In other words, he laid down his life in the service and well-being of ours. That's what true ministry always looks like. Now, Christ was richly rewarded for it. That's how Philippians 2 ends. God exalted him and gave him the name above every name. But God did that in his way, in his timing, and through the road of self sacrifice and service and suffering and humility. And the same is, is true for Paul. He, he, went to be, he, he went not to be served, but to serve. 
In this very context, he, he writes about his contentment. He says, I'm well supplied. I'm not asking for, for any of your gifts. He was very happy to live a life of abject poverty uh, for the sake of Christ. So when he promises the Philippians in verse 17 that, that God would reward them for their support, and also in verse 19 that God would take care of their every need, it's obvious, it's very obvious, that Paul is not doing that as some sort of huckster, prosperity gospel preacher, because that's not the life he was living. He was living a self-denying, Christ-exalting life. He wasn't flying around in his private jet or driving his brand new car or working out of a million-dollar office or a private resort. And I mention those things because literally those are the things that many prosperity gospel preachers do here in North America. And I know that, that uh, they are well listened to in, in North America, including even by people within our own church. I've seen Canadian Reformed members go to some of their conferences, preachers who are living these, these uh, exorbitantly luxurious lives that show that they're not at all following the path of Christ. So we ought to always be careful to, to discern and to judge, is this minister that we might be attracted to, or, or this, this ministry that, that seems exciting to us, is this following the path of Christ in self-sacrifice, in, in service, in humility, or is it self-exalting and self-enriching? For Christ and the Apostle Paul, they were not setting their hopes on their reward in this life, except on the reward of fellowship with the Father, which we enjoy both in this life and in the next. Now, the second reason why we, we, we shouldn't just take this promise and, and run with it is because true service to God is also always aimed at the glory of God as the ultimate goal, never aimed at the material reward as the ultimate goal. This is why the, the prosperity gospel is really such a, a pathetic excuse uh, for a gospel. Instead of calling people to, to reconciliation with, with the righteous, holy God and, and repentance and, and new life in Christ, instead it uses Christ as a means to an end. And that end is whatever people want. It's the gospel really for the unregenerate. It's using Christ to get what the old man within you desires. It, it takes the, the selfish, material lusts of the flesh that Christ came to, to, to die to save us from, and it says you can use Christ to get those things for yourself. It's no gospel at all. When Christ made this promise to his disciples, and when Paul made this promise to the Philippians, that, that God would supply their every need. They were both speaking to Christians who were laying down their lives for the glory of Christ, in service to Christ, willing already to lose everything that they had on earth. And so we should receive these promises. God does promise to reward our giving, and he promises to take care of our needs, but we should always be careful against abuses of these verses. Having said, then, having said that, then, let's dig into these promises a little. The promise is this. Your sacrifices will be remembered by your Father in heaven. They will be credited 
to your account. And in the meantime, here on earth, you will find your needs taken care of by your God. So Paul says in verse 17, I'm seeking the fruit that increases to your credit. That's the first promise. When we give to God, there is fruit that increases to our credit. In other words, God remembers our sacrifices, whether they're big or little. They're always small, of course, in comparison to all that God has done for us. But God nevertheless promises to remember them and to repay them and reward them. Now, it would be easy to miss the point here. Paul is not talking here about the reward of salvation. Our salvation, the fact that that we who believe in Christ get to look forward to an eternity of, 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 of time with Christ in glory, in, in the love and fellowship of the Father, that's not the reward that Paul is speaking about. That's something Christ purchased by his blood that belongs to every single Christian. But Paul is writing this promise in the context of that gospel, in the context of that relationship that they already had with God. They already knew God's love. They already enjoyed God's favor. And it's in that context that Paul makes the promise that as children of God, we can rest assured that that which we give to God is not forgotten by our Father. Whether we're talking about financial sacrifices or sacrifices of time or effort, our Father sees those sacrifices and promises to richly reward them. We don't know exactly what that reward will be, what it will consist of, but as our Father, He sees His children's sacrifices and He promises to remember them and reward them. And that should be a comfort to us as we give. It's not always easy to give our money, our time, our effort, whatever it is we're giving. Those are hard sacrifices sometimes to make. This promise is given as an encouragement that God does remember them. And that would be especially true for the Philippians. You can think of what they were facing here. They were not making small sacrifices. You can think of what uh, Paul told the Corinthians about the Philippians in, in 2 Corinthians 8. He says, in, in a severe test of affliction, so they were being persecuted, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So the Philippians were being persecuted, they were experiencing poverty, and yet they were giving generously for the sake of of Paul's mission. They were making great sacrifices. Paul wants them to know that their sacrifices are not forgotten or overlooked by God, their Father. And the truth is, all of us need this encouragement. This is the love of the Father, that he not only blesses us, with salvation in Christ that will last for eternity, a far greater reward than, than ever we could have earned and ever we could have even imagined. But even on top of that, he also recognizes and remembers the small sacrifices that we make day by day. They may be small, they may be weak, and they may be tainted with sin, and yet our Father promises to receive them and reward them. It is a wonderful assurance. It would have been especially for the Philippians who who had so little in terms of material 
goods and, and, and who, who had already given up so much for the gospel, and yet still they, they, they dug deep and they found the means to still give generously. They were, they were giving in support, in that case, to, to the Philippians or to the, the, the Christians in Jerusalem. And they saw their suffering in Jerusalem and thought, yes, we're poor, yes, we're suffering, but we still have something to give. Let's give, and we can trust that God will reward it. Now, they, they surely would have been willing to do all of that without any promise of reward. But such is the love of God our Father that he does promise to reward that. In verse 18, Paul says that the, the Philippians' gift was a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And, and there he, he's not suggesting, of course, that their, their financial contributions were were like some sort of second sacrifice on top of the sacrifice of Christ. Uh, that would somehow then mean that Christ's sacrifice was not sufficient. But we need to remember there, there are different kinds of sacrifices in the Bible and in the Old Testament. There were guilt offerings and sin offerings, and there were also thank offerings and, and peace offerings. And that, those are the sorts of offerings that Paul is talking about here, offerings of thanksgiving and offerings of fellowship and joy uh, with God. So Paul says that God in heaven receives their gifts that they had given to Paul for the sake of ministry as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to him. It's truly a humbling thought also for us as we give both financially and in terms of our, our time and our effort that God accepts those imperfect, weak sacrifices as a fragrant and pleasing offering to him. He's, he's pleased, like a father is pleased by his, his children's gifts. You know, when little children uh, take some of their daddy's paper and, and they scribble uh, uh, scribbles on it and they say, hey, daddy, I made this for you. And of course, all that they gave came from their father, and yet their father receives those little gifts with joy. So it is with God towards us. And recognize also this language of, of sacrifice shows us that, that giving is part of worship. We don't just worship with, with our, our words and with our songs. We also worship with our giving. That's why the, the, the financial offerings that we give are part of the worship service, uh, just as thank offerings would have been part of the worship in, in the temple. And so this is part of our worship to God, both in our financial giving as well as in throughout the week as we give to God of our time and our effort. And finally, Paul gives the, the promise in, in verse 19. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. What that is, is it's an assurance that God will not leave you empty-handed after you have given, if you have given sacrificially in support of the ministry of the gospel and for the sake of the glory of God. It seems pretty clear here, Paul is not, not even talking here about the reward that's to come in, in, in eternity, as was the case in verse 17, but God's care for the Philippians right here and now in this life. We read earlier from, from Mark 10, and the Lord Jesus makes a very similar promise there in, in Mark 10. 
the Lord Jesus talks there about the, the sacrifices that Christians will be called to make. It comes right after the, the rich young ruler uh, walked away discouraged because Christ had called him to give everything to the poor. And then Peter, always the, the eager one to step forward and say something, Peter steps forward and says, well, Lord, we have left everything to follow you. And there's, there's sort of an implicit criticism even in those words. Lord, we gave everything. Where's our reward then? And, and the Lord Jesus could have corrected him and said, well, no, Peter, you haven't given everything yet, but you will. The day will come when you will. But instead, the Lord Jesus gives this amazing promise in, in verses 29 to 30. He says, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel. It's important to hear that, that qualification. It says, giving for the sake of Christ, for the sake of the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, so on this side of eternity, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. And so we want to recognize the Lord Jesus is not talking here in the first place, about our eternal reward. He mentions that in the end. He says, in the age to come, also eternal life. But he's, here he's talking about in this time, on, uh, on this side of eternity. And so we might ask, what then is the Lord talking about? Uh, who among us has received a hundred houses in return for, for what we have given him? Well, the truth is, in the Christian life, we do give a lot Not only do we have the regular giving to the church and to other Christian ministries, but then there's also Christian education. There's also our time in in various ministries within the church or as elders or or part of the ladies' aid or in life renewal or in a pregnancy center or in visiting the sick or in serving the community. We give a lot as Christians, and and, and that's a good thing. We, We should give. The promise that the Lord Jesus is making, that Paul is making, is not only that God will will recognize and reward those gifts, but also that God will richly provide for all our needs here on earth and not leave us empty-handed. It's true that unbelievers often get to keep 20 or maybe 30% more of their income that we as Christians do after you factor in tithing and Christian education and all the other things that, that we give to. But if we're honest, the truth is God has provided for us so richly even in this past year. What, what blessings we enjoy. And, and the blessings that, that the Lord Jesus focuses on especially are the blessings of being members of the church. The Lord Jesus wasn't exaggerating when he said that that through the gospel we inherit on this side of eternity already a hundred brothers and sisters and mothers and children and homes. We really do as members of the church. We have a hundred, two hundred, three hundred and fifty in this church brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers and homes in which we would be welcome if we needed to be, if we needed to stay in those homes. I remember uh, years ago, my brother and I did a bicycle trip and we went down through, through California and we uh, on, a, on a Sunday, we stopped at a Reformed church, a church we'd never been to. We didn't know anybody there uh, at all. And 
And yet we enjoyed the entire day with them, with people we'd never met before. We were invited over to their homes. We swam in their, in their swimming pool. And, and it was as if we had been brothers and sisters our entire life. That's the joy of being members of the church of Christ. You really do inherit a hundred, literally a thousand, or probably tens of thousands, brothers and sisters and homes and mothers and, and fathers. And that's the sort of blessing then that the Lord is talking about there in Mark 10. Yes, they do come with persecutions, and yet they are worth far more than anything that persecutions are able to take away. Some of you have also experienced these, these same realities as you've uh, been through illness or, or injury and uh, perhaps have been unable to work and have been just flooded with, with generosity, finding yourselves richly provided for by the church. That's the promise that Paul is making here in, in Philippians 4, and it's the promise that the Lord Jesus was making in Mark 10. God will see to it that you are not left empty-handed after you have given generously to him. And that, that's just on this side of eternity. That's just the cherry on top of the cake, so to speak. It's all on top of the greatest blessing of all, the love and the fellowship of God that we will enjoy for eternity. The, the fellowship and provision and family that we enjoy here on this side of eternity is only a taste of the joy and the fellowship that we will have in eternity with Christ forever. The far greater part of our reward and our inheritance is still to come, is still in store for us, and I'm sure none of us would trade that for all the world's riches. So that's the, the final word that Paul wants to leave with the Philippian church, this final assurance that my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Well, from start to finish, this, this letter to the Philippians has been a, a letter of tender love, and also abundant joy from, from Paul to this small Philippian congregation that was eagerly, joyfully supporting him. And he finishes it then with this note of abundant promise. And here's the, the amazing thing for us, brothers and sisters, because we too, like Paul and the Philippians, are counted together with Christ. Those promises are all ours as well. And we will spend eternity not just with Christ, but also with Paul and with these Philippian brothers and sisters in the same warm fellowship of Christian love under the blessing of God our Father for eternity. So this letter rightly finishes with the words, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's respond by singing from hymn 43.